Welcome back to the 3rd and 15 podcast. I am your host, Jeremy Timmerman. Before we get going, I'm going to remind you, it's been a while since you've heard it. The 3rd and 15 podcast is brought to you by Cali TV. Folks, we've all been there. You go to watch your favorite team's game, and you realize it's on one of those channels. You know the ones the ones that used to be on your streaming platform, and they're not there anymore. And you probably thought to yourself, I'm going to have to get cable. You don't. Because you can get Cali TV. $25, no contract, no gimmick. You can get literally any game. If you're looking to set up to get set up with Cali TV, find me on Facebook, find me on Twitter at JTIMM684. I can get you connected with Cali TV today. So, first off, my apologies. It's been more than a month since I recorded. Um, it's just life. A lot of things going on. Got four kids at the house, got a wife, got church, got work. Got uh, another podcast I record with my buddy Justin Baxley, Survivor Podcast, called The Blindside Rewind. Shameless plug, won't do that often, but I did it this time. But most importantly, I told you way back that I'm not just going to record when I don't have anything to say. And it just felt like there were a lot of threads that just hadn't been tied off yet. We were waiting on a lot of coaching decisions. We were waiting on some some transfer portal decisions. And it just, there never seemed like the time to record. Well, now's the time to record. So the last episode I recorded was my championship preview, Georgia and Alabama. Georgia obviously won that game. You know by now uh, they won 33-18, won the national championship. Good for them. And if you've listened to this podcast, you know as far back as the first week of October, I was talking about how Georgia was the best team in the country. Caught some flack for that uh, on, on the Twitter. On the Twitter machine, I caught some flack. Uh, how dare I suggest that a team other than Alabama was the best team in the country? Balderdash. Well, they were. Um, now, what you also know is that in our championship preview, I predicted that Alabama would win. I, I still thought Georgia was the better team, and I, I probably even said that. But... The fact remained that it looked like Alabama had Georgia's number. That no matter the circumstance, Alabama was going to be able to do to Georgia what nobody else could. And I just couldn't see that flipping in a month. And it did. It did. It absolutely did. It flipped. And Georgia was dominant in that game, just like they were dominant against Michigan. And they showed that they were the best team in the country. Now, there are going to be people that are going to tell you that as important as that game was, you know, you want to win the national championship, that that losing that game wouldn't have done anything to Kirby's legacy, Kirby Smart's legacy, or, or, or the Georgia program. And I think that's absolutely incorrect. I think that was a massive win um, for the simple fact of he has a national championship, and, and right now uh, what coaches can we think of that are currently active that have won a national championship? You got Nick Saban. You got Dabo Swinney. You got Kirby Smart. Who else you got? Ed Orgeron won a title in 2019. He's not there anymore. Uh, Urban Meyer won the title in 2014. He's not there. Jimbo Fisher won it in 2013. That's the one a lot of people forget because he left Florida State. He's at Texas A&M now. Who else you got? There's just Mac Brown at North Carolina. That That's it. So Kirby joining that is huge for recruiting. But what's also huge for recruiting is 
Okay, if a, if, a, if a recruit is looking at Georgia or Alabama and they have a serious chance to go to either one of those schools, that means they're an elite recruit. That means they're a good recruit. That means, and if they're looking at Georgia and Alabama, both of those teams give you a chance to win. They give you a chance to play a lot of nationally televised games. If you're good at Georgia, if you're good at Alabama, you're going to have a chance to be a first-round draft pick. That's good either place. You're going to play for some good coaches because the both of those teams are going to hire the best assistants. They're going to shop at the on the very top shelf of assistant coaches. They're both good programs. So what's the difference? The difference is until about a month ago, Alabama could sit in that living room and say, listen, if you come to Alabama, you're going to win a national title. Everybody that comes to Alabama wins a national title. We won one in 2020. We won one for the 2020 season. We won one for the 2017 season. We won one for the 2015 season. We won one for the 2012 season. Everybody that comes to Alabama wins a national championship, and you're going to win one too. Now, does that appeal to every recruit? I'm sure there are some recruits that are going to go, hey, you know, I mean, I'd like to win a national championship, but there are other things that, that are more important to me, like playing time, being close to my family, um, bonding with the assistant coaches, things like that. Sure. But it's not going to hurt that if they're comparing Alabama and Georgia, one of them can sit in that living room and say, we haven't lost to Georgia since, what was it, 2004? Um, my coaching staff's never lost to Georgia. When we play Georgia, we win. Alabama could say that. Georgia could not. They couldn't say, well, you know, hey, we beat Alabama. We're one of the programs who can do that. We're, we're the best program in the country. Now, Georgia's gotten over that hump. That's huge for recruiting. And don't get it twisted. Kirby Smart didn't need any help recruiting. He's perhaps the best recruiting head coach in the country. He's in that elite class. It's him, Dabo, Nick Saban. That's, that's it. That's the list. Um, there are some others that, that are good, but that elite head coach, when it comes to head coaches who are good at recruiting, there are very few that are as good as Kirby. You can list them on like one hand. But now to add the weapon of we're a national champion, um, it just, it only, it only makes that easier for him. Um, now speaking of that game, we heard from Nick Saban today. I believe it was today. At least today is when I saw the story. And he was talking about the national championship game, and he was trying to make a point. And uh, th there, there's some problems. There's I have several problems with the point he made. Now a lot of people are just going to excuse him because it's Nick Saban, and whatever Nick Saban says has to be right. And and for, to some degree, that's true. He knows he's forgotten more about coaching this week than I know about coaching ever. But what he had to say was that one of the reasons they lost the national championship game is they had injuries, they had people who were out, and the players behind them didn't step up. Now, one of the reasons I think those players behind them didn't step up is because those games against Florida, those games against LSU, those games against inferior opponents where they should have put Auburn in the Iron Bowl, where they should have just put those teams away and gotten some of those backups some reps, they, did, they weren't able to do that. Because they weren't able to execute, the starters weren't able to execute and get those guys playing time. Now, um, Nick Saban managed. Now he didn't point those players out by name, but anybody who can watch film can go back and figure out who he's talking about. He pointed out some that there were defensive backs that that had to start that don't normally start, and and they weren't able to step up. 
and he talked about wide receivers that they they weren't able to step up. Well, he, even if you don't mention him by name, you've called those young men out. Um, and is it their responsibility to be ready? Yeah, but it's also the coaching staff's responsibility. And I don't, at least in what I read, uh, the coaching staff didn't get blamed too much for that. That was just his guys taking the blame for what he had to for, for, for that loss. Not a great look for old Nicky there um, because everybody's dealing with injuries. Um, Georgia was missing players. Um, Georgia, you know, there's some that would tell you that against um, in the SEC championship game, Georgia was dealing with some flu, stomach bug, something, and that's why a lot of their guys look a little sluggish. But you don't hear about that. You don't see Kirby coming out and talking about that, and I do you. Um, so it, it came across a little weak to me, but, uh, you know, Nick Nick kind of gets to say what he wants in the media, and, and it, it's a lot of it is, you know, he Nick Saban would have told you until uh, before uh, Lane Kiffin came and opened his eyes about the wonders of hurry up, no huddle, uh, read option offenses. Nick Saban would have told you those kind of things were dangerous and they, they, they should, the rules should do something about it. Until he figured he had an assistant coach that helped him figure out how to use those things, and now all of a sudden he doesn't mind winning a national championship with these strategies that he he told the media were dangerous just a few years ago. So Nick Saban gets a lot away away with a lot of stuff like that, but to me, um, it, it just came across a little weak. You know, even if he's right, you know, obviously uh, losing John Mechie before that game and then losing Jamison Williams early in that game, yeah, that made a big difference. That doesn't negate what Georgia did because it's part of football. It's part of sports. You know, Braves won a World Series without Ronald Cunha Jr. Um, but that's just a part of sports. You don't get to play with, uh, you, you, you don't get to um, put asterisks on other people's rings because you didn't have your best players. You know, Clemson had to play Alabama without Dexter Lawrence in 2018. Managed to beat them forty-four to sixteen, but hey, they they had to do it without Dexter Lawrence. So I didn't like that look from Nick. Um, another big topic in college football, you know, Caleb Williams finally landed in Oklahoma, and, and I think maybe my next episode when I do record next week, two weeks from now, hopefully, I hope it won't be more than two weeks. Hope life has settled out a little bit more, and it, and it won't be more than two weeks. Uh, maybe I'll sit down and break down all of the kind of the transfer portal carousel and to be fully transparent there was a time in my college football fandom and it wouldn't have been incredibly long ago where something like the transfer portal um would have been something that would have really bothered me guys not being committed to their program you know another thing that used to bother me was was guys sitting out of bowl games you know, what the NFL has shown us is that they don't care if guys sit out of bowl games. So why should these guys risk their uh, risk their health with the transfer portal? You know, um, I think as fans, sometimes we get caught up in these players have a different relationship with those programs than we do. Some of the guys who play for Clemson are Clemson fans, grew up Clemson fans. You know, especially now you're starting to get you know. Clemson's been a player on the national stage full-time since 2015. Well, that means, I mean, this is going to hurt a lot of feelings. But the kids that they're recruiting now, these class of 2022 kids, 
they were seniors in 2020, uh, uh, seniors for the 21 season, juniors for the 20 season, uh, sophomores for the 2019 season, freshmen for the 2018 season. You see where I'm going with this. These kids were like starting middle school when this run for Clemson started. So some of these guys are starting to be Clemson fans. Like, you know, they grew up, that's the team they picked. Um, some of them are from South Carolina and grew up Clemson fans. But a lot of them are there because Clemson's a good program. And that's it. You know, for me, if, if I was getting recruited right now, if Clemson offered me, I'm going. It doesn't matter who else is offering me. That's where I'm going. But for these kids, like, they might have been, like, one decent visit away from going to Oregon or Texas. Or they grew up a, a, a Nebraska fan. But, you know, Nebraska's not any good, so they go to Clemson. Like, these kids don't have the same attachment to these programs that we do. They have attachment to coaches. They have attachment to schemes. They have attachment to playing time. Because remember, when you're talking about the level of programs that we take our time to talk about on podcasts, the programs that we really, and the programs that are really affected by the transfer portal, you're talking about these top level programs where every recruit that walks through those doors is doing it because they think they're, one of their goals is to play in the NFL. Now, maybe by the time they're seniors, they recognize that's not the case, but essentially every recruit, I mean, there are probably some that aren't this way, but almost every player that walks through the door for Clemson, Alabama, Georgia, Michigan, Florida, uh, Southern Cal, Oregon, all of those, every one of them has a dream of going to the NFL. They are going to the program where they think eventually they have a chance to go to the NFL. And they bond with those coaches. Caleb Williams is a perfect example. Why did he go to Oklahoma? Well, because the coach at Oklahoma was partly responsible for a guy like Baker Mayfield going to the NFL and then Kyler Murray going to the NFL despite being undersized and really being more of a baseball recruit. Then he turned around and took somebody like Jalen Hurts and who... When he left Alabama, most of us would have said, that guy can't play in the NFL. He's not going to be a starter in the NFL. Well, what's he doing? He's starting the NFL. Because Lincoln Riley showcased that that was something that Jalen Hurts was capable of. So that's why Caleb Williams went there. So when Lincoln Riley leaves, of course Caleb Williams is gone. Now, combined with the NIL, name, image, and likeness deals, and, and that schools can more openly be a part of getting these players paid. Uh, of course, there are some uncomfortable parts of the recruitment, the re-recruitment process when Caleb Williams ends up going to Southern Cal. But it's only right that if we allow these coaches to just leave in the middle of a contract and without schools to buy out and fire these coaches in the middle of a contract. And these are... What if the next coach? Well, the next coach at Oklahoma is Brent Venables. I love Brent Venables, but he's a defensive coordinator. Never been a head coach, and he's got a defensive background. Caleb Williams has no reason to think that this is going to be a good system for him, so he transfers. There's nothing wrong with that. Okay, I'm not going to equivocate on this. Now, there was a time when I would have told you, well, he needs to be committed to the program, but why? Why? If you're... Now, this kid, 
He's not getting paid. He's getting a scholarship, but I would guarantee you his his athletic scholarship at Oklahoma is worth less than most of us make for a salary. So, um, because I, I doubt the athlete, the tuition for a guy like that would be more than you know, what ten fifteen thousand dollars a year at Oklahoma. I don't know what the Oklahoma tuition is. Maybe it's huge, but a huge tuition for a college is going to be like forty thousand dollars. Or a pretty big tuition for a, a public college would be, you know, forty thousand be a lot for a public college. Forty thousand is not a lot for a salary. So, like, when you're talking about these guys, the, the, even if you count their scholarship as a salary, they make what you and I make, or less, and in some cases, a lot less. And if you came to work for a manager that had a certain system of doing things. That, w- that worked for your skill set and then that manager left and was replaced with somebody who maybe you don't mesh with, you'd be looking for a new job. Or you would at least entertain the thought and you certainly wouldn't say, well, you know. And remember, he's been there one year. You wouldn't say, well, I've been with this company for a whole year now. I'm loyal. I'm staying. No, that wouldn't even factor in. Moving your family might factor in, things like that, but loyalty to the company would not. But we expect that out of these athletes. Well, you sign on that letter of intent. All right, well, let's keep Lincoln Riley in Oklahoma. Let's tell him the same thing that we're telling Caleb Williams. When you put your name on that line, you're here until the contract's up, buddy. Until we do that, it's not fair to expect that of players. It's just not. I've seen takes from even former athletes that the transfer portal is ruining college football. It's not. It's not. We just had a really exciting college football season. The playoff game matchups, they weren't particularly close, but that's not because of the transfer portal. And we just saw Georgia win a national championship for the first time in over four decades. We saw Cincinnati, the first group of five team, get into the playoffs. We saw Michigan getting into the playoffs for the first time. The sport is healthy. The sport is fine. It's fans' attitudes and fan perceptions. And yeah, I get it. Hey, college football is going to have to reckon with one of the reasons that I have stopped watching college basketball, for the most part. I still watch the tournament. One of the reasons I'm not invested as I used to be is you just can't get attached to these guys. If they're good, they're gone after a year. It's not their fault. I mean, they're going to the NBA to make millions of dollars. I don't blame them. But it's just hard to get attached to players. It's hard to get, like, invested in players. In college football, if the transfer portal continues to be one of these things where multiple starter-level players are leaving good programs. You got a guy like Jermaine Burton leaving Georgia for Alabama. But which of those schools has shown a commitment to making sure wide receivers develop and produce at a level that gets to the NFL? Georgia's a great program. They don't do that. Not the way Alabama does. You got a choice between playing for Bryce Young or or being a wide receiver playing with Bryce Young or being a wide receiver playing with Stetson Bennett or who knows who's going to win that quarterback race next year. You're going to go play with Bryce Young because that's who gets you to the NFL and that's their goal. And unless you're going, you know, you can say, well, hey, you should be committed to that team. And if the NFL happens, the NFL happens. Okay. If you're going to be the one to give that young man you know, say $10 million, but that he cost himself by 
going from being an NFL starter to being somebody who, who doesn't make it out of training camp because he was a six-round pick, if you're going to replace that money, you can make that claim. But if you're not going to replace that money, kind of got to keep your, keep your hands out of another man's pocket, so to speak. So that, that's kind of my take on the transfer portal. It, it's evolved. There was a time where I would have been right there with you. I would have been right there saying, these, these guys got to be committed. But the more this sport develops and the more coaches I see just up and leave whenever they want to and, and completely change the situation for these young men, I just can't do it anymore. So we're going to take a quick break. And we're going to get back into news about playoff expansion or lack thereof when we come back. All right, we're back. So today it's kind of officially confirmed that um, the college football playoff wouldn't expand until the end of this current deal. I believe that means the 2026 season. Um, and at first blush, the team, the, the group to blame for that would have been the three that voted against it. And that would have been representatives from Pac-12, the ACC, and the Big Ten. Um, and with the SEC, the, and especially you, you got the, the media members who are big AC or big SEC apologists. They're the the guys who the SEC does no wrong. They're quick to point out, well, the SEC voted for it. You know, they wanted it. Well, of course they wanted it. But this all comes back to if you, if you if you're somebody like me who wanted the playoffs, this all goes back to SEC greed. And I, I guess I should put a disclaimer that I I can't pretend that all these other conferences, if they had the opportunity, wouldn't have done the same thing. You know, the SEC is the, is the, the power conference. I'm not going to tell you that every year they're the best top to bottom. Some will tell that. Um, for instance, this year, I think the Big Ten was probably a deeper conference than the SEC. <clears throat> There's a chance that the Pac-12, while they didn't have the, the top crust, it was anywhere near as good as the SEC. <clears throat> I think the Pac-12 might have been a little deeper than the SEC. Um, and that's a tough argument because, you know, you, you run Utah up against Georgia and Oregon up against Alabama. The SEC's 90% winning both of those. And then, so I don't know how the rest is, you know, when you when you start there, it's, it's kind of hard to, to make that case. But anyway, long story short, there have been years where, where the SEC, maybe they had the best team, but they weren't the best conference. But if you take any sample size longer than a couple of years, if you go back five years, 10 years, 15 years, you could maybe even start going back 20 years now, folks. That's how, um, unfortunately, uh, old we're all getting. Take any stretch longer than a year. The SEC is the best football conference. They have the best TV deal. They have the best recruiting. They have consistently good fan bases. Um... It's just the best conference, you know, overall. And so because of that, other programs want to join it. I don't blame Texas and Oklahoma necessarily. I still don't think it was the best choice for them. But if you want to go back and see when this conference expand or when this playoff expansion fell apart, it was when it got out that the SEC was bringing in Texas and Oklahoma. And the rumors were that they were going after other schools. They were going after Florida State. They were going after Clemson. They were going after Ohio State, maybe even Michigan. Like, they were going to poach from all the other major conferences. 
and they're going to create a super conference, and that's when all this fell apart. Now, I don't know how much the rest of that is true. Obviously, Oklahoma and Texas are going to the SEC. That's been confirmed. But all that other is kind of, oh, no, that's not happening. And, But at the very least, the talk of that seems to have impacted who was okay with playoff expansion. Because as far as we could tell, everybody was on board with it. When the conferences were going to stay about like they are now. But as soon as the talk of expansion and, and reshuffling started happening, everybody balked. And, and here's the reason why. Okay? Texas and Oklahoma come into the SEC when there's a four-team playoff. doesn't make any sense for either of them in a, from a football standpoint. All right, I'm not even getting into the finances. Of course, they, you know, the, the theory is they would make more money. I still think that there's going to be a point of diminishing returns with the SEC payouts. And eventually, you're going to hit a, a size conference where uh, if ESPN's already outbid everybody for the SEC network and for SEC rights, don't know how much they're going to bid more. That, that number's not going to, it's only going to get so much bigger. And there's only going to be so much more value that Oklahoma and Texas are going to add to that. And so eventually you're going to get a point where schools, the, the pot might be a little bigger, but when you add schools, the, the cut that everybody gets from that pot isn't going to be bigger. But all of that aside, from a football standpoint, with a 14 playoff, Oklahoma's better off in the Big 12. Because if they go 11-1 and or 12-1 and in the Big 12, they're probably going to the playoffs. And it's easier for them to go 12-1 and in the Big 12 than it is to go 12 and 1 in the SEC, even if they're very good. Um, it just is. And so with a four-team playoff, it doesn't make sense. But with a 12-team playoff, well, heck, if you're two losses in the in that SEC, especially if if they were to add a couple more teams uh, beyond Texas and Oklahoma, you go you know, 11 and two or, or even 10 and two and don't even make the conference championship game, you're probably in the field of 12. And that's why the other conferences didn't want it. That's why you saw the Big Ten, the Pac-12, and the ACC band together. Because what you start to have happening is you got 12-team playoff, you know, the SEC champions in. There's six at, even if, even if you've got six at largest, it's not out of the question of the ACC, the SEC would take four of them. There are going to be plenty of years where they're going to get Five spots if they add Oklahoma or t- and, and Texas. And could that number even stretch to six or seven if they add Clemson and Florida State or if they add Ohio State and Clemson or, or Florida State and Michigan, whatever, if they're able to get some of those teams. And so just the talk of that is what made people balk. Because for everybody else, it starts to get worse. So how do we benefit from this exactly? Right now we get, you know, if our if if our champion is for the ACC, if our champion's 12-1, we're going to get in. But uh, if if you guys start stacking the deck over there, if our champs eleven and two, they might not get in, and and we're definitely not going to get a, a second team in, or we might not get a second team in. Our odds don't improve, but yours improve a lot, and it's going to start all that money talk that the SEC loves. All of a sudden, why, if you're a network, would you pay for um, any other conference? Their rights. Why? Why wouldn't you just put all your money towards getting SEC games? See if you can get get a cut of that pie. Um, bowl tie-ins. 
start to get a lot less lucrative if there if there's no SEC team in it. And but that expansion only make that further expansion for the SEC only makes sense if they can get a 12 team playoff. And I think that's why the other conferences backed off the other major conferences because the Big 12 they now especially if Oklahoma and Texas are leaving and there's nothing they can do about it. I, I talked about it. I think the Big 12 is in great position adding Cincinnati and UCF and the third team that I can't remember right now. But it was BYU maybe. Um, I think the SC, the the Big 12 is in a great position, but they're not in a great position for a 14 playoff. They're going to be that sixth power five or that fifth power five conference, excuse me. Um, <clears throat> they're going to be that, that fifth team that, that they're going to need some help to get somebody in, uh, in, in a lot of years, them in the ACC, frankly. Um, so I just think that, that, that's where you started to see those other three conferences look and say, okay, we, we can't just hand them the keys to getting six teams in the playoffs every year. And that's where that greed kicks in. Because if they had just waited, let the playoff expansion get... It's kind of it's kind of uh, arrogance too that they thought that like they could just make it happen and that it wouldn't get out. But if they had just waited... Don't try to expand your conference until you've already got the 12-team playoff. Then you've got it already. And then you have these programs that are going to be more willing to jump ship because the 12-team playoff already exists. And so they're fine, we'll play in a um we'll play in a super conference. The other thing that that these other conferences have to think about is the more teams that join the SEC, the more likely they are to just say, you know what, we can just do an all-league schedule. We don't, or, or at the very least, we don't need to do these games like Georgia against Clemson in week one. Why, why would we do that? Even if Clemson's not a part of the SEC, especially if Clemson's not a part of the SEC, why is Georgia wasting their time doing that? They can play 10 SEC games or nine SEC games, then play, you know, Georgia Southern, Arkansas State and and uh, Furman. That's their, or, or even not even that. Maybe they don't play a twelfth game. Maybe it's just eleven games, and and nine of them are SEC games. So now, the the teams in the ACC and the Big Ten and the Pac twelve can't even get those non conference games to boost their resume and maybe get one of those playoff spots. So, this is where to me. It's easy to, to just look and go, okay, so who voted against it? But when you start looking at it, I don't think they really had a choice at this point. They needed to, they needed to take a stand and say, okay, listen, you, you're not just going to be able to do whatever you want and get us to go along with it. We're going to do what's in the best interest for our programs and for our schools, which may mean taking a step back and not going to this 12-team playoff yet until we figure out what you guys are doing and what this landscape is going to look like. And if they had just left it alone and just left Oklahoma and Texas in the Big 12 for a little bit, I think the whole sport would have been healthier and we would have gotten that expanded playoff. Because another thing about this is there's going to become a point of this, this expansion and, and realignment in college football where it's going to lose some of its soul. A lot of the soul of college football is in these games 
that <clears throat> even if like, sure, it would be more fun to watch or it would be a bigger deal if Ohio State-Alabama was a conference game. But there's something about watching Ohio State and Minnesota on a Thursday night and you know that what, Minnesota, what that this is the biggest game of the year for those Minnesota players because they have hated Ohio State their whole lives. They have wanted to beat Ohio State their whole lives. This is what they've dreamed of. They watched, you know, some, and especially for the fans, you know, because I talked about this a lot of these players. And in some of those states like Minnesota, a lot of those dudes did grow up Minnesota fans. But at the very least for fans, these fans have been watching Minnesota play Ohio State their whole lives. And they, they've been wanting to win this one, where Ohio State's the number whatever team in the country, number three, whatever they, whatever they are in this dream scenario, and Minnesota beats them. You lose some of that. When the ACC expanded, you lost some of that. Um, and that was a little bit different because the Big East was kind of going a direction in football where um, the teams that mattered from the Big East kind of all came together with the exception of Pitt and West Virginia. Um, but what that did is, is you went from having these traditional games where West Virginia played Miami every year and West Virginia played Virginia Tech every year and West Virginia played Pitt every year and and those games meant something. You know, you, I remember watching West Virginia just hoping they could beat Miami in one of these big games. And, and you lose some of the soul of the sport when you go from that to... West Virginia playing Kansas State in a in a conference game in, in November. It doesn't have the same and it, it and of course some of these things have been changed for years now and and so we've started to accept them but it still it just doesn't have the same soul to it and if we're not careful we're going to lose some of the soul of college football because the nature of college football has always been you only you only get to know players for 2 or 3 years. That's just the reality. You don't have a lot of you don't. It's not like professional sports where like the the players are what makes the rivalry. You know the the players are what makes the team. You know you 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 want to see these guys that play for seven and eight years on the same team. You just don't have that in college sports. You just don't, and not in college football anyway. Since it it was it was different in college basketball, smaller rosters. But in college football, you just don't have the guys that are there, that, that you just get attached to that way. So it's kind of always been about the traditions, about the teams, about those rivalries. You know, I pick on Georgia because they got 700 rivals. But imagine if the SEC expansion means that eventually Georgia doesn't play Auburn every year. And, and that sounds like blasphemy, but listen, you've got Georgia Tech, Auburn, Florida, Tennessee, South Carolina, Am I missing anybody? Those are all rivalry games, so to speak. Well, I just don't see a way that you can add Texas and Oklahoma and then even add a couple other teams from other conferences and preserve all of those rivalries. One of those is going to go away and you're not going to play them every year. Uh, and I, I don't think we want that. And at some point, that has to matter. And and so this, this money grab, it, it not only ruined... The chances to get this conference expansion or this playoff expansion, I, I, I think it's it stands to kind of ruin some of what makes college football special. We always, you know, some of the same folks that want to talk about <clears throat> how the transfer portals ruin college football and um, 
and and it's making it. It's we need to have loyalty, and these things need to matter. They don't really care about the fact that conference expansion kind of takes away some of the same things that we're talking about. These players should value. So anyway, that was kind of my long-winded way of just kind of um, looking at how we got here. We're, we're something that this expansion to 12-team playoffs seemed to be so locked in and set in stone just a few months ago, and now it's tabled, probably won't happen. A lot of the guys, a lot of the folks who are voting seem to think it'll happen in 2026 or whenever this next deal ends, but it went from a certainty to up in the air very quickly. And then that's kind of how I think we got there. So, anyway, hopefully it won't be a month again before I record. Hopefully it'll just be a week or two. But until then, uh, stay safe, have fun, and we'll see you again next time. Mm-hmm.